0: so I I want to take it a drop further today, this idea of really developing ownership of our own lives and, um, making that, making it real. And what we left off yesterday was that the way that you do that is you think about and you examine and you weigh up, um, the areas of my life and what I'm doing and, um, Be open to the fact that what I'm doing is actually not ideal. Just being open to that fact because our natural predisposition is to justify everything we've done. Now this becomes even more complex. Just another addition from yesterday that when we have put effort into doing something, something, something we've invested in. And this is actually a tactic that I think um, people use in the outside world to develop loyalty one of the ideas of an initiation to develop a loyalty to a fraternity or to a group of people is that when we invest in something very heavily, it develops an out-of-proportion attachment. As an example, the project that I've put hours and hours into, and now someone comes to evaluate it. How objective am I going to be about? The value of that project as opposed to a second person who hasn't put that effort into it. So, you know, I think experientially and uh, statistically, our response towards things that we've invested in is increasingly the more investment we put in, the more we believe that that thing is good. Um, I recently read a, a great story about a person that had a, uh, he bought like an old wreck of a Harley Davidson. And he spent every weekend trying to get this back up and running. And at the same time he was getting it up and running, he was going to troubles with these marriages. And then eventually he manages to actually completely and totally renovate this, this back until it's this sparkling, shining, powerful machine. And then he gets into financial difficulties. He sells everything, but he doesn't dream of selling his Harley. Why not? Surely that would be from a commercial perspective, the best thing to sell, it will give him a great, um, you know, you'll get a great return. What a fantastic investment. But the problem is that that was his thing. So he overvalues it. No one can pay him enough for it. So our lives are often things that we invest in. And ironically, the things that we're going to be investing in the most are the things that are going to be the hardest to let go of. And just because we've invested in something doesn't make it right. And it requires a certain amount of strength a certain amount of inner courage to be able to evaluate even the things that we invested in, ty- in, in, a, invested in heavily and certainly the things that we invested in heavily and we feel are, are good and are right. But in order for us to truly free ourselves from these biases and develop a real connection to, to a fluctuating, vital, growing reality, we need to put absolutely everything under the lens of um, evaluation, and consider the fact that possibly everything I'm doing in my, right, in my life can be wrong. Only once we let go of the certainty that what we're doing in our life is right can we begin the process of growth. The Rabbi Sreel, he describes this process actually as what we call Musa. Musa is uh, allowing the events information, experiences to be an influence in my life, to touch me in a way that I don't block off any kind of possible influence and change. And therefore, Musa has got two connotations. The one connotation is a form of study, but there's a very different connotation of Musa, which actually means an event. And Rabbi Israel uses this, as an actual example um, of what Musa is, when something occurs, and the way he, he give, brings an example, there's there's a really strange Gemara in in the tractate of Brochus on Yud Chesamod Aleph. The Gemara and, and the Gemara is exploring the the nature of very interesting Gemara is once people die, do they have an awareness of what's going on in the in the physical universe or not. But Rabbi Yisrael doesn't doesn't delve into that. It tells a story about this righteous man called Chasid chassid echad. And the Gemara doesn't describe people as a chassid uh, lightly. When the Gemara describes a chassid, it's definitely a person that's reached a very, very high level of spirituality. And what happens is he goes, and on Rosh Hashanah, he sleeps in a graveyard. And the reason why he goes to sleep in the graveyard says, he says, um, his wife got him upset and he goes and he sleeps in the graveyard. Now, you know, if your wife go, gets you upset, I understand that you, know, you, want, you want to have a break. Um, but, but why would you go sleep in a graveyard? So Abishal says because he recognized that the event of his display of anger was extremely harmful. But despite that, he didn't feel the full impact of the futility of an angry reaction, especially for a person who, who's mortal. And these issues are so irrelevant. In order to create a reality to his own mortality, he went to the graveyard. And when he's in the graveyard, he allowed the fact to recognize that he one day would die to penetrate his being. And that's the idea of events influencing us. Musa is the capacity to be open enough to be influenced by events, be influenced by people. In a way, not that it's a blind, sheep, herd like influence, it's a conscious effort to create an opening in the stagnant being of my life, in the static and constant behavioral patterns which dominate. My, beh- my, my, my world and say, you know what? Everything is flexible. The minute I create flexibility, I open up the power of influence. And that's what Musa is all about. And that's why Rabbi Shal speaks about the idea of Rabbi, um, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is this ignorant man who at the age of 40 decides to start learning under the Encouragement of his wife, and Rabbi Shlomo quotes a Avos de which describes the scene in the following way: Rabbi, Rabbi Kiv had began learning, and he had started the process of studying Torah. And one day he he's walking he's walking in the fields, and he's feeling despondent. And the reason why he's feeling despondent is not because. He doesn't have an intellectual capacity to grasp the information, but rather he feels it's not touching me. The information is not changing me. I'm still the same person as I was before. So he passes by the stream and he looks at the stream. And in the stream, there's a stone which has been hollowed out by the flow of the water. And when Rebekiva when, when, when sees this, his life changes. Now, this is, the, this is the purpose of Musa, and this is a very subtle point, but think about what happens. If I were walking in the countryside and I saw a stream which had smoothed over pebbles, I would probably say something like, hey, but hey, it's cool how those pebbles got smoothed over, hey? And uh, that would probably be the, the limit of my, of my reaction. Where I'd say, wow, isn't it, isn't, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it nice the way that the, What a beautiful beautiful stream. Those smooth pebbles are already evocative of, I don't know, um, little pearls. But the power to be influenced means is I look at the external world and even such a almost innocuous experience becomes this life-changing event. And I say, one second, let me think. What's going on over here? Stones, are extremely hard a rock is a hard material it's immensely strong and water is unbelievably soft So, one second you've got this hard jagged edge and you've got the soft medium which is passing over it I don't understand how did the soft medium curve out remold change this hard unbreakable rock and then he thinks again and he says, "Well, I suppose it's this consistent flow, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, molds something into a very, very different, to a very different kind of person." And all of a sudden, Rabbi be Akiva becomes excited because then he realizes, and he says, "Well, if water, which is so weak, so soft, can carve stone," Which is so hard, Torah, which is so powerful, surely it can carve my essence and give me a new life. And that's what inspires him to go back to studying Torah. Now, the point I want to bring out is not only his extrapolation, not only the way that Torah works, of course, is gradual, incremental, and just like the stream washes over the stone and changes it because multiple, multiple experiences, but it's the fact that he actually saw and thought about and internalized what was happening around him, even though it was so subtle and so innocuous. Because that's what the world of Musa teaches us to do, to be influenced by experiences through understanding and delving into them by using the art of questioning. And if that's true of a basic, very irrelevant event, when something major happens, that powerful internalization, revaluation, extrapolation is increased a thousandfold. So, just kind of taking off from where we left off yesterday, this idea of utilizing the experiences that touch us to reevaluate our lives is so liberating, is so empowering, is so encouraging. Especially when we learn about Rebbe Akiva that. That change may not even be perceptible at first, but it requires an openness of spirit. The reason Rabbi Kiva, he transformed this man who was in absolute ignoramus at the age of 40. By the time he reaches 64, and that's 24, 24 years worth of learning, he lands he up being the, the teacher of um, 24,000 students. And um, loses them all tragically and starts again. He's the person who becomes really the foundation of all the toe that we have today. And what was the catalyst to that ability to be an ongoing learner, to be an ongoing resilient, adaptive being was the same ability that allowed him to focus on this little stream and saw the water penetrate the rock. So when we are thinking about this time about growth and we're thinking about the method of growth through Musa, what we're really thinking about is the shifting of our own world to be flexible and allow the events to impact us and to influence us. And in order to do that, we need to have a little bit of a, uh, a relinquishing of the whole, that the narrative of our life allows, imprisons us with. So that's the first point that, that, um, that Rabbi points out. You know, when he writes about it and how Rabbi made her real, he says, Rabbi once saw him learning a Gomorrah in Getting. And the Gomorrah in Getting was discussing that there's a law because when there, there, there was, I mean, I think it's in, in, I think in South America it's still common that kidnapping is a great way for making money. You kidnap a person and you demand a higher ransom and it's a lucrative business. And because Jewish sages were precious to their communities. So uh, it would be often like they would try to capture a sage. And there's the, the, the tragic story of a male from Rottenberg, who was one of the greatest him, He was, the, he was the, the Rebbe of the Rosh. And he was captured. And he was, they, they, they asked the community to ransom him. And he ruled that it was forbidden to ransom him because it would create a pattern of kidnappings, which would eventually bankrupt the community. So he forbid his community to pay his ransom, uh, this great man, and he died in a cell, because he wasn't willing for the Jewish community to, to save him. Now, I mean, that's, that's an awesome sense of, of responsibility, which is almost incomprehensible, but the source of it is a in Gittin, And there's a Gemayim Gittin that said you shouldn't pay ransoms. And there was a a story about Levi Daga, that he, he redeemed his daughter. And after he redeemed his daughter, he had second thoughts. If he did, they had done the right thing. And when Rabbi Shul read this Gomorrah, he started to cry because it made him reflect on the point that he has a man that redeemed his very own daughter, whom he loved so much. And then he had second-guessed it because maybe it would impact the community at large. And when the thought of that sensitivity captured Israel, he burst into tears. That's the openness that we have to start to develop. That's the capacity to be impacted and influenced that this art of questioning our lives, which is at the core of Musa, frees us to do. There's a Mishnah Pekka Oves. The Mishnah Pekka Oves is a very cryptic one. It's said by Hillel. And Hillel says, If I'm not to myself, who will be to me? And if I'm only to myself, what am I? It's a very famous Mishnah. And there's a lot of discussion as to what those words actually mean. What does it mean? Eina nili mi? If I'm not to myself, who will be for me? So the Rabbi Yoina, one of the foremost Rishonim, describes it in the following way. And I'll read it to you from the text. Bira Dova, he says, the explanation is as follows <speaking in Hebrew> If a person won't awaken himself, which we probably use the expression of, it's interesting we're probably, his is often translated from Hebrew into English as inspiration. And the way that we respond to the idea of inspiration is very much as something that someone thrusts upon me. Over here I says, if a person doesn't inspire himself, which means the, the experience of inspiration is when an event makes an emotional difference to me. It motivates me to do something. It, it enlivens me. It, it gives me some kind of kick. That's called inspiration. He says, If a person doesn't inspire himself, create an internal emotional movement about an event, an idea, what will any kind of guidance ever help him? Any experience that he has, will be like water of a duck's back. Because even though the words may enter into his recognition, his understanding, his heart, when he heard them, the negative part of the person will make those experiences forgotten, And completely remove them from his inner being. Okay, so comes along Rabenu and says, "Well, how should we approach guidance, events, experiences in order to integrate them and experience real change from them?" Okay, when a person has Musa, you have to awaken. I have to awaken myself. And to place the words upon my heart, and to think about them constantly, and upon them he should add more lessons, and from his heart he should develop more ideas. So I, I just want you those those words. Each one is a is a jewel in its own right. Rabbi Yuen is giving us ideas. What does it mean? If I'm not to myself, who am I? He discusses it as referring to my ability to respond to guidance, to be impacted and influenced by the events of the world and to shift my life into a new gear. How many people fundamentally change in their lives? Change is such a difficult thing to do. And there's so many obstacles. So, therefore, it's an art. Change is an art, but change is the heart of life. Change is a sign of vitality. Change is a sign of growth and of expansion and of reaching a new perception, of conquering boredom and of relinquishing the need for distraction. Only a life which remains unchanged needs to be stimulated by so many different things because the inner core feels neglect, feels bored, feels stagnant. So therefore, we need to reach out and to create external stimuli which kind of make us feel as if something's changing. But really, there's just a camouflage for the death that's occurred within our inner world. So if I'm, not, if I'm not going to work on this and actually find our ways of making myself receptive to change and creating the drama in terms of my own life. I don't need to watch a movie to have drama. I don't need the action because in every day, there's so much action. In every interaction, there's so much action. In every event, there's so much. What do I have to do? Number one, I have to literally, literally, the words mean awaken myself, implying that the default setting of myself is half asleep. Unless awoken, my way of going through life is in a somnambulist state. I go through it and I get by, and i do and it, but there 's no there 's no rush there 's no edge it's like I get, I get done, I get done, but there's a kind of there 's a numbness there 's a bluntness to my life so number one, I have to you 're I have to find that part of myself and awaken it. but last of my joy and my, and then I have to make the event relevant to myself. That's what Rabbi Akiva was so good at doing. He saw a stream and a water and stone. And he said, the stream is speaking to me about my life. We have to make it about my life. The events have to be about my life. I have to translate them into what does it mean for me? And the subtlest event can mean for me. And I think now, again, referring to the, to the events that are kind of transpiring around us, they're so powerful. I'll give an example of something which affected me incredibly today. So because there's no um, prayer gatherings and people aren't allowed to be together in a closed space and not even an open space anymore according to government regulations. So a group of, um, in our building, you know, you can be in close proximity to your immediate family. So there's all these balconies. So what some of our neighbors engineered was to try to create a minion from balcony to balcony, and haliri speaking provided you can some people of these ten people in different situations in different locations as long as someone can see everyone can see someone from the minion it 's a valid minion so there were three of us myself and two sons on my balcony beneath me I had three neighbors, another balcony beneath that there was another neighbor group of neighbors, another balcony. There was a guy who was walking in front of the building. There was a guy standing outside his door and it was the most powerful experience because there was this, what, what I kind of, what, what made me, what stimulate me to think is that the, the duality of diversity and community diversity is that we each have our own space. And we all have to kind of occupy our own lives. And then there's aloka, haloka. That, yeah, but we can create synergy if only we see the other person. And we don't have to see everyone in our group. As long as we can see one person from this group, there's enough to make a community. There's enough to bring us together. And it was a moving experience for me to recognize that that tenuous connection of the sight of another already bonds me together that I can fulfill all the communal obligations of prayer. I can say Kaddish, I can say Baruch I can repeat the Shman because we are together. So it's a powerful message to me to recognize how just by having the openness to see another person makes me a part of a larger whole. And I'm in my own place and I'm occupying my own space. And I can be still be a part of something else. So they, they awoke in me. I woke myself to recognize that community doesn't mean to be standing together next to a person. It doesn't have to be in the same place, even just that awareness. Now, how can I then extrapolate that into my life? So now, you know, previously before Pesach, a lot of people, there's a lot of needy people around and uh, people would go around knocking on doors, collecting money for, for, for Pesach because they just didn't have enough wherewithal. Now no one's knocking on any doors. That means those people are not going to have their access. But in order for me to care about a community, I can see that I don't need to have that person knock on my door. I can, I can remotely connect to them. I can figure out who those people are. I can find an organization and just give them my credit card number. Because community doesn't need physical proximity. It just needs to have sight, which is a very distant um, connection. So that's an example. It's, it's not maybe the best example. But I'm trying to allow these, these such... Diverse experience that I'm, that, that I'm having, I'm sure we're all having during these days, so different. It, it made me rethink what my balcony was. Previously, my balcony was a place where I chilled, and now my balcony is a place of prayer. And that's the truth of that's, that's what transformed my perspective in my bedroom. There was a place where I slept, and now it's a place where I learn and I teach. And everything's changed. Everything's changed. And with the change, I see that actually what I thought was isn't. I thought this was so the, the flexibility and in turn, like now, what can I think more about that? What does it mean that my bedroom is a place that 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 you know can be a, a, a it can be a, a capsule for the exploration of deeper ideas? For me, that, that that's fascinating. That you know that this idea that um, the experience of learning needs to be in a base medrash or in a study hall is no. It, it, it's actually in the most intimate places of our life. It's also there. And so this every, almost every hour, there's a new experience. And it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to, you know, we don't have to have developed, Rebbe Kiva had developed the sense to a very sophisticated level that just walking by a stream was a transformational experience for him. So perhaps over here, the kindness of Hashem is that he recognizes that we beginners at this game. So he's giving us, you know, a very, very basic um, set of uh, set of kind of uh, work set of set of exercises which will be well within our skill, skill set and but we have to open ourselves up for it. we have to allow ourselves to be influenced and in order to do that we have to relinquish the stranglehold that our stagnation has on us and let go let go of everything everything not to say that we dismiss it but that nothing is for sure. Because in our world, we see nothing is for sure. And if nothing is for sure in the world around us, even though it seems so, so carved in stone, so then our own behavioral patterns, which are far more flexible, surely they can just be um, really, really kind of um, affected. Now, one last point. Despite all this incredible inner journeys, which this um, state of Corona has allowed us to experience. There's also the the suffering, which is not something that I think we can neglect. There are thousands of people in the world. There's probably hundreds of thousands of people that are, that are in some state of, of sickness. You know, I, th- I think uh, 40,000 people have already died. And there's an element of, as well as we are using this as a incredibly recharging grounding experience to be back in our homes and reevaluating our lives. There's also an element of an awareness and bearing the burden of the world around us and the people um, who are suffering. And I think that's an important point to, 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 to remember that this is not like a, um, only a retreat into our, into our deeper selves but there's another component and the way I see that other component is as we become more aware of our own lives and the flexibility and the fluctuation that is inevitable in a lifetime. And we see the fact that there's also a loss of life and there's also suffering, even though people who could recover, it's a very unpleasant, it's an unpleasant disease. So it awakens us also to caring for others and recognizing our own fragility and that gives a, a, a whole new perspective of of it and uh, i think that can take place in a very practical way through through prayer through an awareness of you know it, it's just like reading walking past a, a stream can be very can be very powerful if you're a biakiva, but certainly what can happen is we can, we can, we can read the news and we almost close down our human capacity when that happens. And you know, it's, the news is a very dangerous thing because if I read a figure, like 40,000 people died. So I kind of, I just, I'm just, it's a statistic for me. But if I think about one of those 40,000 people that had a family and that if it was a man had a wife, if it was a wife had a husband, and the incredible ramifications. And when you think about the horrific way in which people are dying because they're isolated, they're dying by themselves in the ICU unit, none of their family around them, and no one to be with them at that point in time. So there's incredible tragedy attached to this as well. And I think we can't be uh, just we can't be we can't be callous to that. And that's another component which I think is 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 an important piece in this in this very. Um, very complex story that is being told to us by the creator right now so let's let ideas um, any questions I'll, if you want to ask a question please unmute yourself and speak your thoughts no questions okay thank you guys for, for coming it's always good to learn together Thanks, Rolf.